welcome to yet another episode of I See It But I Don't Believe It. I am Gemma Bassiani. This is the Plan Radio Network. Um, today I am joined by a good friend of mine now. When we first met for in this exact studio that I'm sitting in, you are on a Google Hangout because isolation is a thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We first met when you came to my house to record an AFLW season preview. And prior to that, our first interaction was actually about your docu- audio documentary that we're going to talk about a lot in this. So it's kind of nice and full circle in a way to come back to this. So I'm very pleased to be joined today, as I said, via Google Hangout, we're being safe, um, by Kirby Fenwick. Hello. Hello. I'm super stoked to be here. It is kind of full circle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, the laptop is, is you on the screen is like right where you were sitting when we recorded that other thing. And it's just like, it's kind of <laughs> weird and nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for those who aren't aware of who you are, because they haven't listened to the previous episodes, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Who I am and what I do. Wow. That's a big question. Um, <laughs> Uh, Well, my name is Kirby Fenwick, obviously. Um, I'm a writer and an audio producer, audio maker. Um, I am a co-founder of Siren, a women in sport collective, which you are also a co-founder of that, Gemma. Yes. Um, Yeah, I write about, I write a lot about AFLW, but I write about um, the history of women's sport, which is a real passion of mine. <laughs> Anyone who sort of follows me anywhere will be uh, aware of. <laughs> uh, um, I find that I find that funny that you said that because we, we had a meeting yesterday about some siren stuff, and as we do every week, and there was a moment where you said something, and then you said, "And you know what's coming," and paused for a second. We we're all like, "What are you talking about?" And then you, go, and then I want to go into the history. I was like, "Oh yes, I understand." Now. <laughs> Look, it's endlessly fascinating. Um, it's great. No, I love it. It's just really funny. Like we each, uh, there's seven of us and all seven of us, no, like without fail, manage to bring conversations back to the thing we love most. Yeah. So I always, <laughs> I always bring stuff back to stats. You always bring stuff back to history. Like it's, I just love how predictable we are. <laughs> We're like the seven dwarves. Truly. <laughs> we should I actually create a thing, a graphic for our social media, the seven dwarves of Siren and you say what we are. What our what our strength is. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Siren is great. I've loved working on it. Um yeah, so you also the documentary we're gonna talk about quite a bit in this because it it documents the topic we're talking about today is the first Friday in February. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about how you came to actually create it? Yeah, so the first Friday in February is really the story of the first AFRW game, but from the perspective of the fans that were sitting in the stands, which is um, a voice and a perspective that I'm really passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly fascinating and it's so varied and diverse and just endlessly interesting um but basically I went along to that first game I was one of those 24 and a half thousand people that were sitting in the stands that day and like weeks and weeks after that game I like just kept and after the season after the first AFLW season which was such a ride for me um I just kept sort of like thinking about that game you know and I had read um play on uh, by Brun- Brunette Lenkitch and Rob Hess, 
which yep. if you haven't read that about the history of women's Aussie rules football in this country, definitely get onto your nearest uh, local bookstore and get yourself a copy because it is such a brilliant book. But that really kind of, I guess, planted the seed for me in how important the history was and mm-hmm. I, and how much of the history of women's football and women's sport more broadly hasn't really been captured. And I knew that really like wouldn't be the case, I guess, with the first game, first AFRW game. There was obviously a lot of media attention and there was the lockout, which makes it such a huge deal. But I just really felt like there was – there's never um, enough projects to document the history of moments like that. So um, I just kind of took it upon myself <laughs> – yeah, <laughs> to, um, as we are all prone to do. Absolutely. Um, to just interview a bunch of um, fans um, and people that just went along to the game, even people that weren't Collingwood or Carlton fans that just, you know, recognised the significance of that night and wanted to be a part of it. Um, so I ended up interviewing, I think, about 38 women, and I focused exclusively wow. on women um, because I felt like it was particularly um it particularly resonated, I think, for women. And, um, yeah, put together the first Friday in February, which sort of um, is a bit of a jigsaw puzzle of all their memories and stories. And, yeah, it's a really it's a really sweet and beautiful thing for me to sort of think about and reflect on and listen to, A, because it was such a massive project. <laughs> Honestly, it's probably good that I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I first started because I may not have actually pressed go on that project because it was such a big big thing to do by yourself. Um, yeah. But it, it's also something I'm really proud of um, and something that I think people can listen to today, you know, two years after it was released and well, two and a half years after it was released and you know, three and a half years after that game and just sort of appreciate the significance and the moment and, yeah, just why it was so special to so many people. Yeah, for sure. And I think you said that there's um, – we will get to the game in a second, but you said that there was a lot – that it was already a topic there was going to be a lot of media coverage on – um, but there was, there's always room for it. I think that was a really interesting point you made because I obviously preparing for this, I'm saying obviously a lot already and I need to stop doing that. <laughs> preparing for this, I looked back a lot of the, the press around it and all that sort of stuff. And the, the problem I have with mainstream media, which you've heard from me a million times, is that they're just echoing one another. It's never a fresh perspective on something. It's this is the number of the crowd, this is who kicked the first goal, this is this, and that's it. And that's how everyone covered it, whereas it was really wonderful to get the perspective of the effort that fans went to to get to this yeah. game. Like, like the what it meant to people, the feeling of being there. Like, I have goosebumps thinking about your um, the pedestrian walkway sound that you used in the doco. So, like... It, it's a whole different thing listening to something like that or, or you speaking about it than just reading a match report that w- is pretty like from a, probably a men's man's perspective of footy coming at the women's game in a way. Yeah, and I think that's the power of oral history too. Like, And it's something that I'm so passionate about because it adds so much context and nuance and, you know, fills in those sort of gaps that, 
you know, those kind of like factual accounts, like a match report, leave out. Yeah. And so, you know, oral histories have the ability to add that back into the story. And I think particularly when you are talking to fans, because there's such a, um, you know, being a fan, particularly if you're a woman um, and if you're a fan of men's sport, can be like a really like complex place to be. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to know more about this, you should chat to our uh, other Siren co-founder, Dr. Casey Simons, who has done <laughs> lots of work around this. Um, but it, it can be like a really complex place to be. And just being a fan in general, I think everybody has different reasons for, you know, the team that they follow and, you know, why they follow that team and they have different memories and things that sort of resonate with them and and they bring you know and they have different politics and have different upbringings and different sort of experiences and they bring all that with them to the game because how do you not um so i think the fan is like just such an incredibly fascinating aspect of any sport but particularly for me afl and so you know, injecting their voice into sort of the historical narrative of, of events like the first AFLW game um, is, I think, really important because I, I don't think, you know, those like match reports or newspaper reports can really capture why that game meant so much to so many women. Yeah. And so I think something, an oral history project like the first Friday in February can sort of go some way towards trying to answer that question or provide an explanation. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting you say that as well. Uh, Yesterday, you know this, but the listeners don't. I interviewed a social media manager of an AFL club, a a men's AFL club, uh, as in a club that doesn't yet have a women's team. I could have said that so much better than what I did, but we're going to go with it. Um, <laughs> and now the game is to guess who the club is. <laughs> I have truly lost my mind in the past two days. Anyway, she was saying about how uh, having previously worked in another sport, the fans of Aussie rules footy are a whole different beast to any other sport that they had ever experienced. And I think that we talk quite often about why uh, why is the AFLW so much harsh, critiqued so much more harshly and received so much more misogynistic comments and things like that than what a lot of other sports do, particularly in Australia? And I think it comes down to the fans of Aussie Rules are a whole different ball game to any other fans in the world, for the good and for the bad. For the bad. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Point. I think, like, Aussie rules as a sport has such an interesting history mm. and its kind of beginnings and um, how it's, its place in the community, particularly um, in, you know, states like Victoria and South Australia and Western Australia, which are, you know, AFL states, I guess, or Aussie rules states. Um, yeah. You know, Aussie rules has such an a fascinating place in the community, whether you're talking about, um, you know, the national sort of competitions or you're talking about state leagues or you're talking about the lo- your local community club. Yeah. It, it just sort of has such a – it holds such an interesting place 
Um, and that can be a really powerful place as well. And like you said, it can be a place where a whole lot of like really nasty things breed too. And we've seen mm-hmm. that in the history of the men's game with racism and um, domestic violence and sexual assault. And, you know, we've definitely seen that play out in the women's game with, you know, just some pretty like cesspools of comments situation <laughs> yes. happening. Um, Correct. Yeah, it's, it is, look, there's a PhD or two in there for sure. Yeah, I've just, <laughs> yeah, or five. Um, <laughs> Ten maybe. I've, I've had my head so immersed in different pieces of footy nostalgia in the past two weeks in ISO that I'm starting to see footy from a really different perspective than I ever have before. So it's really nice to have this conversation with you. But, so... Uh, <laughs> If anyone hasn't guessed by the title of this podcast episode or by <laughs> everything we've talked about so far, today we're talking about the lockout. So the first ever AFLW match, uh, which was held between Carlton and Collingwood in 2017. Heading into this, so the original timeline for AFLW was for it to actually be introduced in 2020 this year. Yeah. We were meant to have our first season this year, which is Can you insane imagine? to think about. And also, like, I'm I'm glad for so many reasons that it was brought earlier, but also the fact that could you imagine the first season copying this? Oh pandemic? my god! <laughs> It'd be it like be... the world is against us. <laughs> I mean, it would be yeah, wow, wow, mm. yeah, very lucky on for so many reasons that it was brought forward. <laughs> yeah, so it was able to. It, the fact that it's been able to find a foothold over the course of three and a half, four years before experiencing this huge, hugely impactful thing that everyone's going through, but also, you know, those that are already fighting for space, fighting for attention, fighting for recognition, um, obviously being hit a lot harder. Uh, so it's nice to to have it brought forward. Anyway, uh, the re- why was it brought forward? So it's... I was actually curious about this because I was just so excited that I didn't understand the reasoning why at the time and then I just went with it. Can you tell us about the exhibition matches that started in 2013? Yes, yeah, so there was a series of them um, that were staged between the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne. Um, My fa- team winning all of them. Whatever. Your team losing all of them. <laughs> Whatever. We were just happy to be there. Um <laughs> It's fascinating to me, though. I actually learnt um, just recently that um, St Kilda and Richmond were sort of like thinking about doing a similar type thing, but the Bulldogs and Melbourne beat them to it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was a series of exhibition matches. The last one in 2016 uh, happened in September in that, like, off week between mm-hmm. – um, you know, between oh, the end of the AFL-M yeah. season and the beginning of the AFL-4. I know how you feel about that, but anyway. Um, yeah, that was that was a magical evening at Witten Oval. I was there. I remember being there with a couple of mates and watching that game, um, knowing that the AFLW season was coming, you know, in a yeah. few months. And just, like, I just remember the vibe that night at Witten Oval just being so, like, you know, it was just like the vibe at an AFLW game. It's just yeah. like it was so friendly and so happy and joyful and it felt like 
I mean, it was kind of nostalgic for me being an, being a Bulldog supporter, a Footscray supporter, to be back at Witten Oval. But um, it just had such – it was just such a great vibe. And yeah. Yeah, knowing that we had the AFLW season to come. But, I mean, it was kind of a I, – I think the AFL were probably, like, surprised by, like, the response to the well, exhibition no, matches. This is the thing, though. Like, they seem to be surprised by the enthusiasm at every single turn and yeah. then have to change plans at the last <laughs> exactly. minute. It's just like, don't underestimate the fans, please. Um, it's, it's pretty funny as well. I remember – Obviously, so the response to the exhibition matches was what made Gillan McLaughlin and the AFL Commission at the time decide to pull it forward by three, four years. Um, so that enthusiasm at the time worked. But also, I, I distinctly remember seeing the first news report or the first press conference that they were announcing AFLW season. And I remember Daisy Pierce being involved in the announcement and I didn't understand it at the time. I was like, wait, what is this? I didn't because I was so like skeptical about what we might get that I was like, no, sure, that, no, it's just VFL, right? And it took me a while to understand that it was going to be an, an elite national women's footy competition. And then after that, I lost my shit. <laughs> you know, I don't even remember that announcement. Like, I honestly can't even remember. And I don't even remember like the first couple of exhibition matches. Um, yeah. I was overseas for a chunk of 2015, so I'm going to like put some of that as the reason why. <laughs> um, but yeah, so much of that is kind of like not even a part of my memory. Yeah. But I vividly remember being at that 2016 game with the Bulldogs in Melbourne at Witten Oval. And I mean, yes, it was kind of, it was almost a rash decision by Gil to say, we're going to start in 2017. Like, <laughs> But, like, incredibly bold and, yep. like, I mean, he should be applauded. Yes, it probably meant that things didn't start, you know, as perfect as they could have been. Like, maybe another year planning or whatever, you know, would have helped whatever. But I also think, um, you know, sometimes you just have to jump in with both, you know, jump in feet first and, you know, sink or swim basically. And I think he, he I really think, you know, I'm the first person to criticize the AFL, <laughs> but I really think he should be applauded for making that kind of bold decision to say, you know what, these exhibition games have been really successful. Like the fans are responding to this, like, let's, let's just do it. You know, why wait? And I think, you know, you think now about all the people that you may have missed out on seeing. Yeah. If they had have waited. I mean, imagine Aaron if we had Phillips. A, imagine if we had never had a seen Aaron Phillips or uh, Mel Hickey or Daisy yeah. Pierce even or you know all the Nikki Cow like all these like incredible footballers that we have had the absolute joy of watching mm. over the last four seasons. Imagine if we never got to see them. Yeah, it's making me really sad thinking about that. Meg Hutchins, Cecilia McIntosh. We yeah. were so lucky to see those women play in this competition. Mm. And for that reason, you know, I, it was absolutely worth it. Like I wouldn't change. I mean, that's not true. I would change lots of things, but I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't change the timeline, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I, I fully agree with you. And like, again, I will very happily criticize the AFL and particularly <laughs> Gillan McLaughlin for some choices that are made. But the theory behind 
jumping in and starting it early created the buzz for younger girls and women to have teams to play to then create that ongoing pathway to then have the young talent we have now. So, like, I don't think Madison Presparkis or Georgia Patrikios or players like Chloe Malloy would have had that pathway had it not been for the buzz that was created around that first season. Chloe Malloy would be playing basketball in the U.S., Let's be real. Yeah, so would, so would Gabby O'Sullivan. Like, there's so many incredible players we wouldn't have at all coming to the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, good good decision. Very good decision. So, <laughs> um, the eight clubs that were given inaugural licenses were the Adelaide Crows, Brisbane Lions, Carlton Blues, Collingwood Magpies, Fremantle Dockers, GWS Giants, Melbourne Demons, and Western Bulldogs. So, um the idea was that Victoria would have four teams and then the other states would have one each. Uh, the only other state other than Victoria that had more than one team actually apply for a team was WA. So they had to choose between the Eagles and the Dockers. The other three were the only ones to apply based on facilities and based on uh, resources and things like that. Yeah. And then out of the Victorian teams, um, yeah, it was obviously a a bit more of a battle, but the four teams that won out, I think, were the right four teams initially, at least. Yeah, I guess that's kind of debatable. I feel like, um, you know, the Western Bulldogs in Melbourne were always going to get a license because they had been the two pioneering teams. Um, yeah. You know, they had been involved in the exhibition matches. They'd been incredibly supportive, both clubs, in terms of, you know, putting up money and, and that sort of thing. So they were always going to get a gig, I think. Um, the cynic in me says that Carlton and Collingwood got licenses because they are two of the biggest clubs in the competition. And in terms of... They also applied, though. (laughs) No, absolutely. They did, for sure. But I think, you know, the reason they probably got a gig over maybe a club like North Melbourne, who has been involved in women's football for quite a few years, is probably because of their, like, large... They're large clubs and they have big membership bases. They have a lot of fans. Um, Mm. So uh, the cynic in me says that. So, but even then, like make maximizing the opportunity for to have as many fans as possible come out in that first season. Yeah, you have to make those sorts of choices too. Yeah, North Melbourne. We all know I have feelings about North Melbourne. Um, I've never seen more celebration of a known abuser of women than in the past two weeks. Uh, So. I don't know. I'm on the fence about North Melbourne. As much as you do positive for women's footy, you still celebrate a person like that every week. So, you know what? Yeah. Um, it's very complex to be a fan of Elsie Rules. <laughs> it's it very is. hard. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to like put North Melbourne fans offside. I loved what the North team did this year. Not so much last year. This year, I very much enjoyed watching them play and found myself as a neutral fan rooting for them. And I was like, what has happened to me? <laughs> um, so they're, they're starting to come around. I just don't like their men's team or the celebration of that particular person. Totally Let's fair. continue. Uh, so the opening match uh, was originally scheduled for Olympic Park Oval, <laughs> which is... <laughs> between <laughs> Melbourne and Collingwood's training centres, if no one knows, which is right next to Amy Park. And it was scheduled for Friday, February 3rd, 2017. The buzz and enthusiasm leading up to the season's kick kickoff in combined with the attendance at a practice match pre-season at that the wasn't same ground. Even, it wasn't even advertised at practice match and they got like, what? I, they got thousands of people there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they're like, oh, wait, we might have stuffed this up. Let's uh, move it to a bigger ground. Uh, so the capacity of Olympic Park is like 3,000, right? Uh, I think it's more like five or seven. Okay, even then. It's not a lot. And there's no, like, there's no seating, there's no grandstands, there's, like, no shade or very little shade. I mean, I don't even know how you would would think that was ever going to work. Yeah. (laughs) I went to a Melbourne Collingwood preseason match there this year, and even then there were too many people there for it to be held there. (laughs) Like, no. It's it's really funny because um, one of the women that I interviewed for the documentary, um, Yvette Roby, who is such a huge supporter of women's football and a massive Saints fan. And she was so excited this year to see um, her Saints have a team in the AFLW. Um, I remember her telling me that she was like emailing the AFL saying, this is bad. Like you need to move this. Like you can't have this game at Olympic Park. And um, she's absolutely right. Incredible. That makes me so happy to hear that. Um, I Yeah. Amazing. Um, so they they did announce it. I think it was just a week before. Like it, it wasn't long before the game actually was happening yeah. that they announced that it would be moved to the significantly larger Icon Park, which yeah. the capacity is about. Technically, it's like twenty four thousand, isn't it? I think actually, technically, it's like twenty two. <laughs> so they definitely over. They were over the. I think because like the crowd that night the recorded crowd is like twenty four and a half thousand people so um and if you look at photos you can see that there's people and I remember like they're just being people everywhere like in every kind of spot they could stick their body into they were they were in there (laughs) and uh yeah so the the official crowd is twenty four thousand five hundred and sixty eight people halfway through the first quarter on the advice of Victoria Police, they were told to shut the gates and not yeah. let anyone else in, <laughs> which meant there were about 2,000 people locked outside midway mm. through the first quarter. Yeah. Which, like, is giving me goosebumps thinking about it. Like, that's people want to go and see women play footy. Like, people go to effort, guys. People yeah. flew down to Melbourne for this. Yeah, they did. And, look, I spoke to people who flew interstate. Um, mm. I spoke to a woman who flew from Adelaide. And, you know, she was like, I I was not going to miss this. Yeah. Like, of course she wanted to be there. And she was really emotional about it, about how important it was and, you know, how important it was to her to be there. You know, and I travelled down from up near Ballarat and yeah. I got there like three hours before the game started. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got to admit, I've spent many an hour waiting before gates to be opened at AFLW uh, grounds oh, yeah. over yeah. the past years. Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of time waiting at gates. Yes. Uh, it's Imagine just something if we they do. just sold tickets. How I good mean, that would be. <laughs> basic logic suggests. I feel like we're going to get tickets next year. I really hope so. Yeah. yeah. Um, wasn't there someone else, and I admittedly haven't listened to your doco in a little while, wasn't there someone else who halfway through the day up in Sydney was like, I've got to go and just left yes. for the airport? This is one of my favourite stories. So Yvette Andrews is uh, one of the founders of the Sydney uh, Women's Australian Football League. Um, yep. Very important person in the history of women's Aussie rules and just an all-round general legend. Um, she 
I mean, I'm actually kind of furious about this. She should have been invited. Yes. Like, as a pioneer of the game, she should have been mm-hmm. invited by the AFL to be there. We'll put that aside. Um, <laughs> she was at work in Sydney and, um, yeah, just decided, like, actually, you know, she needs to be there. She needs yep. to be at that game. Went back, um, went back to her desk, booked a flight. Like, I think she said she left straight from work. Um, mm. You know, landed in Melbourne, drove straight from the airport or got a taxi or whatever straight from the airport to the ground, got into the ground just before the game started. I think they were playing the national anthem when she got in. And I love that story so much. It's <laughs> one of my favourites. And I loved the way she told it. Um, <laughs> it's so much better than the way I told it. <laughs> but just, yeah, like... She just felt like she had to be there, like it was something that she couldn't miss. And yeah, yeah I mean, li- you've got to listen to her talk about talk about that experience and and why it mattered for her. Incredibly powerful and so moving. But yeah, mm. just one of those magic kind of f- fate moments, you know, like for her to like manage to get on a plane at that late notice, you know, get to the airport you know, the plane actually lands on time, you know, she can get a taxi, you know, you're racing through Melbourne at that time of day, like the traffic would have been a nightmare. (laughs) And then, you know, to get into the ground because there were so many people, just magic, magic. Yeah. Incredible. And we'll link the first Friday in February in the show notes as well, just so everyone can go and listen to that after this. Um, so that crowd of 24,568 people, at the time, it broke the record for the attendance at a standalone women's sporting event in Australia, which is insane to think about now because we've seen that broken every year since. Twice by AFLW matches and once by the Cricket T20 World Cup this year. Yeah, which is the new Australian record um, and is actually a cricket record, like worldwide for women's cricket. Yeah. Um, I think that just kind of speaks to the momentum of women's sport. Like it's yeah. just like a big snowball and it's running down a hill and like you either <laughs> you either get on board or you're going to get left behind kind of thing. Um which is like it's amazing to be to be a part of that like you know mm. I was at that T20 game and I was at the AFLW grand final in Adelaide with 53,033 so it's 33 34. other people because I was the 34. <laughs> um <laughs> It's, like, amazing to be, like, when I think about it now, like, I've been a part of, like, those, like, incredible, along with a whole lot of other people, like, a part of those, like, really incredibly historic moments. And, yeah, like, being at Princess Park that night is one of those, one of those moments in my life that I think it changed my life forever in, like, a really incredible way. Yeah. And it's one of those moments that I'm just never going to forget. I'm always going to remember that I was there. And it's it's pretty bloody rad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Like, for, for those who don't know, in 2018, this record was broken by the first ever footy match, sanctioned footy match at Optus Stadium in WA between yeah. Fremantle and Collingwood, yep. uh, which had 33,000 people, I think, who all bought tickets to attend. Yes. Um, and that was incredible. And that game was actually incredible. Dana Hooker kicking, snapping a goal around the body out of congestion. Oh, incredible. Uh, 2019, 
you mentioned was the AFLW Grand Final in at Adelaide Oval in Adelaide. Really? Adelaide, yes. Uh, 53,034 <laughs> people attended that one. They had sections of the ground blocked off before the game started and then they're like, oh, wait, we need to open these up and had to open other levels for people. It was incredible watching that happen, like watching it sort of fill up and then they like open a new section and then that fills up and then they're like, oh, we better open this section and then that fills up. It's like it it was so amazing watching that happen. And, you know, for me that was kind of like what it was like at Icon Park because I got there so, 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 so early because there was no way, you know, because the lead up to that had been, you know, there was so much talk and it was like this incredible event and there was so much media coverage and it was just like, I was like, I am not missing out. (laughs) I am not going to get locked out of this game. Like I kind of thought there's going to be a lot of people here. Like this is a big deal. This is a really historic moment. This is the first AFLW game. Like, you know, this matters. And so I got there like super, 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 super early. I reckon I was one of the first people in because I got one of those commemorative badges. Yes. And it was kind of like that there, like watching watching the ground fill up as we got closer and closer to kickoff. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, like it was one of those beautiful summer, like, you know, late summer days and afternoons and evenings. And it was just you know, the sky was beautiful and it was, yeah, everything was perfect. (laughs) Yes, it was. No, no, it truly was. Um, Should we talk a little bit about the game itself now? Yeah. So I did a rewatch. You've watched some highlights, but mostly I just want to touch on a couple of things each quarter. Usually on I See It But I Don't Believe It, we're going through the game because of what the game was. This is more about the occasion, so we're not going to go into a lot of detail about plays or anything, but just a few things I noticed um, re-watching it back, because I haven't seen it since that first game, because it's not one of my teams, so it's not a game that I would commonly go back and re-watch or anything. So it was actually really enjoyable, because I, again, I was there as well, so I didn't hear the commentary on the night. Mm. I didn't hear any of that stuff. So hearing that for the first time was kind of kind of weird. And some of the things the commentators said about players, like foreshadowing what was to come, is incredible. So there's a couple of quotes I've pulled out too. So Daisy Pierce was commentating. Yep. She would be playing two days later in her first game, which Melbourne lost, but whatever. In um, like lightning and rain. At Casey fucking Fields. (laughs) (laughs) Against the eventual grand finalist, Brisbane. Yes. Um, But she was commentating, which was really wonderful because Daisy's knowledge of uh, female footy players is the, at the time in particular, was better than anyone else. So her knowledge about the way they played and not just their backstory of they used to play this sport or they're a mother of three or they're this or they're that. She actually knew how they wanted to play. They, She knew what the coaches wanted from their teams and the game style they wanted. So it was really great that they had her on. Mm. Um, I can't say enough good things about Daisy. It was very, very tight early. So lots of stoppages felt like a final because it, you could tell people were nervous. That, for, I mean, absolutely, yes. You could, you could like, feel the nerves off the players. Could you imagine how loud it would have been for them? Oh, my God. Like... I just, yeah, I, re- I remember the roar when the siren went and it was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine what it would have been like for the players. But when 
I, I do remember after the first ruck contest, um, one of the Hoskings, was it Sarah? Because Sarah Jess was, was the only out. one playing. Jess was, yep. Jess was out for that whole season. She laid, there was this massive bump <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> it was just like, like that, like we're off, you know, it was just like this. <laughs> and when we're here, you know, we're not mucking around. And I remember yeah. somebody in the documentary saying that, mentioning that first tackle and being like, you know, that was like this moment where, you know, the players were just like, yeah, we're here to play. And yeah. this is not like shits and giggles. Like this is serious. Yeah. That's it's one of not my, just an exhibition. That's one of my favorite moments from that game. Cause it's so fierce and yeah, <laughs> I love it. And it happens in, like, uh, the first couple of seconds of the game. <laughs> it's brilliant. She 100% just wanted to make her mark early, which is perfect. Mm. Um, first really big moment of the game, Meg Hutchins, who's a stalwart of women's footy in this country, she's done so much for the yeah. game. People don't realise how much Meg Hutchins has done for women's footy. She has a huge boot on her, and she kicked this huge yeah. ball inside 50. It was read so beautifully by Jazzy Garner, who is incredible, and she took the mark and kicked the first goal in AFLW history. And the quote from the commentator, who was Jason Bennett, I believe, said she has the most upside of any player. And here we are <laughs> in 2020, and I don't know how many times I've said this year that Jasmine Garner is the best player in the competition. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, wow, there's a bit of fortune telling for you. Someone's got a crystal yeah. ball. Yeah. I mean, that was so cool. What a what a like piece of history for Jasmine Garner to own. Yeah. Like And she was only like 19 at the time. So she was young. So young. Oh, she's um, so good. Yeah. She was wearing was, number 43. Yeah. Such a such a cool moment. I actually do love in the in the commentary in that moment though. Um, Gem, I don't know if you remember this from rewatching, but this actually, I remember this because I recorded a little bit of that commentary to use in the documentary. Sorry, yeah. AFL. I did ask for your permission, <laughs> but you never gave it to me. So I just did it anyway. Um, <laughs> but one of the other commentators, not Daisy, there's an, another male on that commentary team. I can't remember. Nigel Carmody. Yeah. He starts, he says something about like, while Jasmine Garner's like, you know, having the kick for potentially the first goal in the AFLW competition, that seems like an important moment. Yes. And he starts talking about like Meg Hutchins and how she has a big kick and Jason Bennett's like cuts him off to like talk about <laughs> like and Jazzy Garner, you know, has that moment of history. I kinda love that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. why we love Jason Bennett. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. He's of him. so good. He should be yeah. commentating both codes of the game at the highest level. Yeah. Uh, and then enter Darcy Vessio. Oh my goodness. So Darcy Vessio was the story of this game. Mm. She won a high free at goal and kicked it. And that was her first of the game, obviously. And what Daisy Pierce said as Darcy Vessio was lining up for goal makes me so happy. She said, football fans are going to love watching this girl play. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that not only what Darcy Vessio went on to do that game, and and Daisy said it right at the start, but also what Darcy's done since then, the season she had this year, and also her social media presence. <laughs> um, and then also her advocating for the game as much as any player 
um, she's she's right up there. I mean, look, she did that thing even before the first game. She had that photo of that young girl on her shoulders with that caption of when you laugh together because you know you're going to smash the patriarchy. And that just yeah. became this like catchphrase and that was turned into T-shirts and like it was just this incredible moment. And it was like I look at that game now and watching Darcy Vessio and I like I remember being like, oh, my God, she's amazing. Yeah. Like, I had known about her beforehand, but, like, watching her, she just, like, she was so bloody good that night. But, like, I, it's one of those kind of, like, I don't want to say a star is born because I feel like Das was a star before. I call, call her Das like we're mates. She was, a, <laughs> she was a star beforehand. This was just, like, more people had, more people were seeing her. Yeah. And what, like, a truly brilliant person she is, both, like, you know, on the footy field and off it. Yeah. Big, yeah. I'm a big and fan. The, the big thing that you notice about Darcy Vessio as well is that if she makes a bold statement, she backs it up with her performance. So prior to this, it was that social media post, um, we're going to smash the patriarchy, and she comes out and she kicks four goals and stars for her team. Yeah. This, this season, and I'm using a lot of comparisons from season one to season four, but it feels really relevant, is that prior to this season starting, she was one of four players who very bravely and very impressively spearheaded more change for AFLW players and better conditions for them and was admonished for it by the media. Mm. And she came out and she had the best season of her career. And it's just like, she's, she's going to do this, but she's also going to back it up with her performance. So you can't pick at her because she's doing both things well. She really does put her money where her mouth is. And I think that's really admirable that she is such um, a strong advocate for the game and for women playing it, but also for, you know, she's a multicultural ambassador for the AFL. You know, she's um, a very vocal supporter of the Pride games in mm-hmm. in the AFLW. She's just, um, she's just like, she's just a rad human being. That's And an awesome graphic designer as well. <laughs> she's way too talented. There's way too much talent in one person. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, sometimes I'm just like, I want to be you. How does she be like... You know, she should be an award-winning actress as well as, like, <laughs> you know, a superstar footballer as well as, like, incredibly, like, creative and switched on in that regards. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I wish my brain was that big. Um, <laughs> so the other thing that was standing out at this point, which seems obvious now but at the time was not it was Katie Loins literally just throwing her body around like you wouldn't believe like her, she was just catapulting into all sorts of different situations it was like Katie <laughs> chill out <laughs> calm down <laughs> um Lauren Arnell then kicked she was a captain of Carlton in this game she was also working for the Carlton footy club at the time uh she kicked a really incredible snap taking the ball with one hand and just kicking around her body from, like, 40 metres out almost. So and I was just like, that was how did you goal. do that? Yeah. That was incredible. So Carlton were really on top. And then this is when Jason Bennett just says, it is a lockout at Princess Park. And that is, like, the greatest moment of this what whole game. I don't – yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Oh. Um, and then Darcy Vessio just kicked another one from a goal square stoppage. She, she went up in the ruck, took it straight out of the ruck, kicked a goal. And uh, then – one of my other favourite quotes from commentary in this quarter was she gets hit hard by loins just because if that doesn't encapsulate Katie loins and women's footy, I don't know what does. 
So it goes into quarter time. Carlton have kicked three goals straight and Collingwood have kicked one goal too. So Carlton are up by 10 points. Into the second quarter, um, it was Darcy Vesio's contested marking that really started to stand out. She's not a big player, but she really started to take really good overhead marks. And then uh, Brianna Davey playing for Carlton at the time, captain of Carlton, uh, yeah. not captain of Carlton, future captain of Carlton and future Collingwood player. She mm. pretty much killed Emma Grant and then Emma Grant did not come back on the field. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't uh, be laughing at that. When you actually, I did see that in the footage that when I was rewatching bits of the game. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. No, she she doesn't mean to, obviously. No. She like coat hangers her. Yeah. And yeah, Emma Grant got killed. Um, She's now retired, so uh, for, due to concussion injuries. So, yeah, not from uh, that moment, but. No, 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 but um, just a note on Emma Grant. Uh, sorry. It became really obvious in this. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I've written a lot of stuff in all caps because I clearly got really excited here. <laughs> um, but in this quarter, it came really became really obvious just how good Brianna Davey was. Mm. So, like, now we're like, yeah, Brianna Davey, one of the best midfielders in the competition, blah, blah, blah. But back then, when we didn't know the players as well, Brianna Davey really came to the fore. She really Her, stood out. Oh, it was incredible. Her ball use out of half-back because she was playing off the half-back line. Mm. She wasn't in the midfield for them. And she was just controlling the whole game from the second quarter. And then this is where I have in all caps, Darcy Vessio out the back. Darcy kicks her third goal um, to put the Blues up by 17 and heading into half-time, Carlton are up by 15 points. Mm. I've got my book up here. I'm like reading it like a children's book to you. It's great. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and I'm loving it. <laughs> Uh, into the third quarter now, and Cecilia McIntosh was providing all of Collingwood's drive. And the thing we need to acknowledge about Cecilia McIntosh was that she was like a month away from turning 40 when she played this game. She is like, I don't even have words to describe her. She is like something else. Like, what a machine. Like, yeah. so impressive. 
so talented in multiple sports. I might add. I believe she's a Commonwealth Games medalist for javelin. I think I feel like she's gone to the Commonwealth Games for multiple sports as well. Right. So she's just like yeah. I mean, I'm just in awe of of women like her and what they have managed to achieve. You know, despite the fact that women's sport has been consistently under resourced and um, underappreciated, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, just amazing. And she's another one of those people where you think, you know, if the AFLW had not started until 2020, would we not have seen her? I don't think we would have because she obviously has retired now, but she's still playing VFLW footy, but I don't think she would have been able to make that leap because it's much harder to do it at 43 than it is at 39. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think there was definitely a different landscape um, in 2017, of course. Um, mm. And who knows what it would have been like if the competition had have started this year. But, yeah, just really grateful that we got to see her, for sure. Yeah. And that she um, got that experience to play AFLW. Yeah. She also has a really cute dog, in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> uh, I was at a game this year with a few of her friends, and she was kind of with the group, and her dog was definitely the thing I was focused on, second to the game. <laughs> so my friends, I barely spoke to my friends. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. Just the footy and their dog. That's it. What else do you need? Not literally nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> You've been to the footy with me. You know what I'm like. Yes. I like apologize to people when I'm at the footy with them. Uh, yeah, I just like commentate the game to myself and that's the way I speak to you. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I think it's good. I'm a big fan of it, Jim. Uh, Katie Loins and Steph Kiochi started having some words in this quarter with one another they did not like each other during this game Uh, Mo Hope who was a big star kind of heading into the game she she copped a lot of flack but I think she was very very good she just had no support for this whole first season so it was very hard for her to play the game how people expected her to play when she was just constantly being double teamed. And that was really yeah. obvious in this game. And nobody seemed to like talk about that point. Like, and I remember, no. I remember having these conversations in the first season, like how do you expect her to perform if she's like, there's two players on her. Like all the time. Like, and sometimes more, like what exactly do you expect her to do? Yeah. Ah, oh, people. Uh, Stacey Livingston copped an injury and then off the back of that, Bree Davey uh, kicked a huge goal. There was a handball from Darcy Vessio out of a stoppage to Tilly Lucas-Rod, who then passed it on to Brianna Davey. Were they dating at the time? Maybe, maybe not. I think, um, I think they might have been, as yeah. an aside. And, <laughs> yeah, that's a fun little fact. Yeah, they did start out uh, playing together they were both in the forward line for some reason. Uh, and Brie Davey kicked a huge goal. It really got the crowd up and mm. about. And then Vessio just snapped her fourth out of nowhere. And everyone's like, what is happening? And I, I, there was only like, what, 30 seconds on the clock or something. And yeah. all of a sudden she's just there and she's, yeah, I remember that goal. I'm pretty sure that was, that was like near where I was sitting. Like I was sitting, um not at the, you know, not at the end of the ground where the Carlton sort of official situation is, but at the opposite end. 
And so I remember, yeah. I remember that goal. I remember her like running sort of down that, that sort of like in front of us and getting that goal. I do remember that seeing that goal and thinking, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit. But also like you kind of felt by that point that like Carlton had this, like they were like, they were, oh, they had total well control of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the three-quarter time score, Carlton had kicked six goals, one for 37 to Collingwood's one goal, five, 11. Mm-hmm. So there was only one scoring shot difference, really. So not that much different to nowadays for both of them. Uh, that's just me being mean about Collingwood. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we go into the final quarter. Helen Roden uh, then for Collingwood gets injured. So that's uh, Collingwood with four players ruled out for the remainder of the match. Mm -hmm. So they only had two left on the bench. They had six on the bench for these first year games, which um, I forgot about completely. And I was like, Sam, Sam Lane, you're saying the wrong wrong numbers. Then I realized Um, Carlton in full control. Meg Hutchins run out of defense was incredible though. There were a couple of moments where she just was driving the ball out of defense with her run. And then she's got that booming kick. She was great to watch in this, but the player who stepped up in this final quarter was Bianca Jacobson, who I flipping love. She was (laughs) unbelievable in this quarter. She was taking so many contested marks. Her tackling was on point. She was getting to the right spots in the forward 50. And then she took a contested mark to kick a goal from a set shot, which was absolutely outstanding. And the crowd lost their minds. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just thinking about it. Yeah, I'm also I mean, thinking about how she plays for my team. I was now, just so. gonna say you're a big fan of her because she plays for Melbourne now. But um, anyway, <laughs> I always liked her. <laughs> it was weird seeing her wear the navy blue. Um, I also noticed that Carlton's uh, Guernseys were like they weren't super dark navy; they were a bit lighter. I really liked it. I didn't notice anything different about the about the jumpers. <laughs> hmm. Maybe I'm comparing to the men's because the men's are much darker than theirs. Yeah. Yeah. I like the light Guernseys. Uh, So with the crowd losing their minds, the final siren goes. Carlton win the game 7-4-46 to Collingwood's 1-5-11. So Collingwood just ran out a lot of steam. And unsurprisingly, they struggled with their forward line, which has been Collingwood's issue for four years now. (laughs) If anyone changed. reads Siren stuff, <laughs> they would know that I've said that before every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I would like to – I actually want to quiz you on this. Oh, uh, I've got you it didn't tell down. me there was going to be a pop quiz. This is, this is no, I didn't. Unfair. But I think this, this, this will be a funny way to do it. So I've written down the 22 players for each team um, that played in this game because mm-hmm. I'm watching the game. It's fascinating. You're like, oh, they don't play there anymore. Yeah. Oh, they don't play there anymore. Yes. So let's go through Carlton's team and you should, if you could, if you can, well, words, uh, tell me where they are now or if they're even still playing. Ooh, so Carlton. This is going to test my knowledge. Okay. I reckon you got this. Mm, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> Lauren Arnell. Lauren Arnell is now playing for Brisbane. Yes. Laura Attard. I think she's at the Suns. Or is not playing at all anymore. No, doesn't Tiana, play at all anymore. Tiana Ernst is at the Suns. Tiana Ernst. <laughs> her, her, her wife is at the Suns. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Doesn't play, doesn't play at all anymore. Yes. 
I mean, I didn't know they were married. That's cool. Yeah, well, I actually seen I seen um, seen Laura at the Suns uh, North game wearing a Suns shirt, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there I love Tiana. Fun Ernst. fact. Me too. I miss her. <laughs> Oh, uh, West Symbol looks. Uh, Shay Audley. Still at? No. No, no she doesn't. She doesn't play anymore. Was, she plays VFLW. She plays for Essendon's VFLW team. There are a few players in this that play for Essendon's VFLW team now. Okay. Uh, Bella Eyre. She was at Brisbane. Is she still at Brisbane? She was at Brisbane. She retired at the end of last year. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Just uh, Lauren Bazali. Oh, there you go. Um Oh my god. Lauren Brazali. Number twelve. Having a total mental blank. She still plays. She kicked two goals this year. Two really good goals. Yep, cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> uh Alison Brown. Um I I'm going to say not playing for Carlton anymore. No, she's at the Saints now. At the Saints. She was part okay. of the Saints okay. inaugural list this year. Yep. There you go. Bree, Bree Davey. She's at Collingwood. Yep. Alison Downey. Melbourne? She's Oh, no, that's Meg Downey. Okay. Alison Downey is still at Carlton. <laughs> she she scares the life out of this me. This is very like, revealing what? of my uh, knowledge of... <laughs> I'm being... <laughs> List. I wrote I wrote down the teams last night. Then I went through with a red pen. I was like, no, she's a prisoner now. No, <laughs> um, it was good for me to test as well. Uh, Nat Exxon. Nat Exxon is at the Saints. Yeah, so she went up to Brisbane for two seasons and then went to the Saints. Can I also say, watching her play this game with a ponytail was like a real so shock. weird. <laughs> So weird. She was so good in this game as well. Like she definitely she really put good. her name on the map. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kate Gillespie-Jones. Plays for North Melbourne now. Danielle Hardiman. Oh, I'm totally... She saw it? Carlton? She also plays for North also now. Also at North. They both okay. they went together. Yep. Yep. Sarah Hosking. Still at Carlton. Bianca Jacobson. At Melbourne, but not, didn't play this year. Took the year off because of work. She wants to be a police woman. Yes. Police person. Police officer, Jess Kennedy. Oh, God. No? Not playing at Carlton She doesn't play anymore. anymore. Yeah. I'm trying to give you tips. You don't have to give. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell everyone what my head movements are. Uh, Madeline Carrick. Still at. She's still playing. She's, she's still playing. But she's playing for another team now. Geelong. Geelong. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Last. Not playing. No. No. Katie Loins. Yeah, she's still at Carlton. She's co-captain now. Yeah. Tilly Lucas-Rod. She's the St Kilda. Yep. Uh, Brianne Moody. Still at Carlton. Yep. Uh, Nat Plain. Ooh. Still at Carlton. Yep. Yeah. And Gab Pound. Still at Carlton. Yep. And the one and only Darcy Vessio. I'm pretty sure she's still with the Blues. Yeah. Really? I might have to yeah. double check. <laughs> I think she. I think she's requested a trade to Melbourne in the off season. Oh, you wish. 
<laughs> well, we got Libby Birch. We got Libby Birch. Okay, fine. I'm being really Rude. mean to Kirby right now. I'm mm. sorry. So out of all of their 22, eight are still on the list, mm. five are no longer playing, and nine are on other lists. So they had a like a, their list really, or this team, uh, are still playing a lot of footy. It's not like a lot of them disappeared from, to the game. Yeah. Now let's do Collingwood's. Okay. Collingwood's is a whole other kettle of fish. Mm. Millie Barden. Well, she's is she not Millie Malang now? Yes, she is. Sorry. Yeah. At the time, she was Millie Barden. I feel like she's not playing anymore. No, so she retired, but she did move to Carlton for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christina Bernardi. She's a Richmond now. She went to the Giants, I think, yep. for a little bit, and then now she's at Richmond. Yeah. Correct. Uh, Britt Benici. Still at Collingwood? Yeah. Uh, Jess Cameron, who is now Jess Duffin. Uh, North, but took this year North. off. Because she's got a baby coming. Yeah. Uh, Sophie Casey? S- not. She's still at Collingwood. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, Steph Kiochi? Still at Collingwood. She's their captain. Yeah. Sarah Darcy? Still at Collingwood. Yep. Known for a, an infamous reportable offence in the season opener of 2018. Mm. Caitlin Edwards? No. I think she was from Western Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, from memory. But I may have that completely wrong. But yeah, no. I didn't know that. Yeah, she's not playing anymore. Alicia Eva? Giants. Captain of the Giants. Mm. Yeah. Jazz Garner? North. North Melbourne, best player in the competition. Yes. Emma Grant? Uh, retired this year. Retired. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mo Hope? Not playing anymore. No, she moved to North and was delisted at the end of 2019. Is signalling um, a comeback, though, from what I have sort of seen of her? Yeah, she suggested she's come back a couple of times. She nominated for the draft and then bailed right before the draft. I yeah. don't know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I love watching her play. I think she's a great player, but... Um, Whatever she wants to do, she should do. Absolutely. Uh, Meg Hutchins. Not playing anymore. Although is playing no. for or was playing for Hawthorne's VFLW team. So may continue there, but I'm not, I don't know what that season looks like this year. Yeah. Mm. Um, she was one of a couple that Collingwood kind of forced into retirement yeah. more so than they got to retire, which is a bit disappointing, but mm. um, footy clubs have to be cutthroat, I guess. I would have loved to see Meg Hutchins continue to play. Uh, Emma King. North. North Melbourne, yep. Stacey Livingston. Collingwood. Still playing for Collingwood. Yep. Big she fan won, of hers. I really like her. Yeah, she won the, is it the Lisa Hardiman medal, the best on ground at VFLW Grand Final? Did she? Last year. 20, 2019. Is that what the medal's called, Lisa Hardiman medal? Oh, I'm, I cannot remember. I feel like it is. But, yeah, she won that last year when Collingwood won the VFLW Grand Final. Mm. Uh, Cecilia McIntosh? No, not playing anymore. She's another one that kind of got pushed into retirement Mm. a little bit. Uh, Tara Morgan? No. No, not playing anymore. Helen Roden? No. No. Ruby Schleicher? She's still there. Still playing. Broke her wrist this year. Poor girl. Against Melbourne. Mm. Uh, Nicola Stevens. Playing for Carlton now. 
Playing for Carlton now. Was a defender, now a forward. She's had a full change. <laughs> the opposite of everything she started as. Uh, Lauren Tessarero? She retired and then drafted herself last year to play for Richmond. With no ACL. What a, yeah. what a moment. So she's retired again. Uh, retired again is a weird way of saying things. <laughs> she's, she remains uh, as part of Richmond's staff. Yeah. Uh, not playing anymore, though. She killed some people this year, though. And Bree White. No. No, not playing anymore. Not playing anymore. Yeah. No. So of those 22 for Collingwood, six are still on their list. Ten are no longer playing and six are on other lists. So there's significantly less players, um, actually double the players that have finished playing footy at AFLW level for Collingwood out of their 22 than Carlton's. It's, but I thought that was just fascinating. It's yeah. really fascinating too. I mean, especially because this is only like four years ago. Yeah. So like that kind of like list change and turnover in four seasons seems incredible. Like how does that yeah. even happen? And I think, um, you know, it's interesting when you think about like the recruiting choices that were made, you know, in that first season. Um you know, when you look at, like, players that are not playing anymore and, you know, I think there's, like, so many different kind of stories and narratives and things like that around that, like, entire conversation. But it's just really fascinating to take those two lists and see who is still there who and who is not. Yeah. yeah. Super interesting. I've, I've been thinking about doing it for all the lists from 2017 i think that would be such a good idea because it'd just be really interesting to see what the kind of turnover has been for some clubs because i imagine it's been pretty like severe for some clubs collingwood especially i think collingwood and brisbane have had the most Mm. from from just off the top of my head but yeah i have been thinking about writing that up so i'll do it this will probably come out after i write that piece so uh we're seeing into the past we're seeing into the f- i don't know whatever i'm in the future also <laughs> i feel like i quote mike babiglia in every single episode of a podcast <laughs> i do nowadays mike babiglia is very funny if you're an iso go and watch one of his things on netflix he's so funny it just makes you happy uh i think we're done we're done wow have we most have we mostly told the story i know the story's never finished being told but have we told enough yeah, I mean, I just, it's just really fun. It's never going to get old for me to reflect on that mm. game. It's it's always going to be a moment and a game that I'm always going to enjoy talking about. And it's always going to be fun for me to think about that night and, you know, my memories of it. And, yeah, it was just, it was such an incredible moment. Not even just in, like, my life or, you know, you know, when you think about, like, the history of women's sport or the history of Aussie rules in Australia, it was just such a magical night to be in that ground with, you know, 24,500 other people. It was such a statement mm. and about so many things, not just about you know, support of women's sport or women's football or just women full stop. It was just, yeah, I actually feel really proud that I was there. Yeah. 
which is yeah. which is kind of a strange feeling because obviously I didn't play and <laughs> had no impact on the scoreboard whatsoever. But yeah, I feel really proud that I was there um, and that I contributed in some way. And I, you know, I spoke to somebody for the documentary and she works in theatre, a friend of mine, Fiona, and she was talking about how there's so many moments in theatre where it doesn't matter if the audience is there. You know, mm. you've got a comfortable seat. You could just go to sleep, you know, and the play will happen around you. <laughs> but she was like, that that moment, that night, the audience mattered. Like, yeah. yes, the game was hugely important. And ov- obviously that was all amazing and incredible. But we mattered too that night. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it, that the audience and the crowd you know the peop- the fans in the in the grandstands that night they mattered as much as what was happening on the ground yeah and i think that's a that's a really nice way to think about it that we all contributed in some small way to making that game and that night what it is yeah i don't want to add anything to that cuz that was really nice and beautiful and we should leave it on that <laughs> on that note um if people want to follow you, support your work, find out what else you do, Kirby, how can they find you? Yeah, probably the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. I spend a lot of time on there. So you can find me at Kirby Kirby B. Um, you can follow my work at Siren. Um, Yay! Do a lot of cool stuff for Siren. Um, Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. probably the two spots where you're going to see me the most. For the foreseeable incredible. future. Kirby creates some really incredible content for Siren that I'm always like in awe of her writing style because <laughs> I feel like people should know, and I'm outing myself here, that um, when I write things, I write them and then I send them to Kirby and Kirby <laughs> fixes everything I write. Um, so not only does Kirby work very hard on, on her own work, she works very hard on editing my work too. <laughs> So thank you for that. You're so welcome. <laughs> it's a joy to edit your stuff because, you know, this season reading the roundup was like such a highlight of my week. Like, and I got, <laughs> and I got to read it before anyone else as well. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I always loved reading that. Um, just so insightful and so smart and so like, just so, yeah, you have just got such a smart footy brain and I just love like, listening to you talk about footy or reading what you have to say about footy. Um, yeah. I always feel smarter afterwards for sure. <laughs> I'm blushing. <laughs> um, I just really like stats and uh, you said you're one of your highlights of the year. My high, one, one of my highlights of the year so far is finding out that I was quoted by a senior AFLW coach in a team meeting. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it gets much better than that, mate. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, that's actually written in one of my interviews for this year so far. So if you go back and read through some of the interviews I've done for Siren, you'll find out which team coach. Mm. Uh, but let's end this up. Thank you so much for joining me on Good Friday. It's Good Friday today, but it doesn't feel like Easter. Yeah, it's a bit, that's weird. It's all a bit surreal, isn't it? I don't even have chocolate in my house. I think I'm going to have to have a glass of Milo. I can't believe you haven't prepped that. 
that's disappointing. Do you want me to come and drop I, one at your front door? I haven't. Um, I haven't actually done any food shopping in two weeks. So, <laughs> Joe is just subsisting I'm... on God knows what at this point. <laughs> no, I have lots of food. I just did lots of shopping two weeks ago, so I wouldn't have to leave the house. Hey, smart, smart. And I did go to my parents' house and got food from them as well. So that's something. The pantry of the parents is actually a little-known supermarket. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, you say that kind of jokingly, but and I'm leaving this in so my mother hears it. My mother's (laughs) pantry is insane. It's what we call a butler's pantry, which means it's as big as her kitchen. I would love a butler's pantry. Yeah, so her pantry is almost as big as my whole kitchen, uh, as in my whole apartment. (laughs) So, yeah, that's where I'm at. I just don't have chocolate, but we'll work that out. That's fine. Anyway, we're so off topic here. (laughs) But I am also, as I said, going to leave all this in because, I mean, our personalities is what you listen for, right? 100%. Not the the footy stuff. 100%. Um, Uh, this has been I See It But I Don't Believe It, The Lockout with Kirby Fenwick uh, of Siren and a whole bunch of other things. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get it. That helps us a lot. Um, and ch- subscribe. Check out what else we do because there's lots of footy stuff, lots of music stuff, which is really fun. We're also uh, in the process of preparing a Siren podcast and I've dropped that here woo, so we have woo. to follow through with okay, it. Okay, cool. I'm on board. Um, yeah, so keep an eye out for that because that will be – around the same traps as where you're listening to this. Thank you again, Kirby. Thank you for having me. It has been a joy (laughs) and delight as always. (laughs) And I see it, but I don't believe it. We'll be back in another week with another episode about something. I don't know what yet. Depends on what order I put these in. Thank you for listening. (laughs)